Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Cavalry Audio. My name is Cade Courtley, and this is Can You Survive This Podcast. The show is designed to teach you techniques that will increase your chances of survival if you happen to find yourself or your family in any life-threatening disaster scenario imaginable. Each episode will put you smack in the middle of a new disaster scenario as I challenge my guests to see if they have what it takes to get out alive. Knowledge is power, people. Can you survive this podcast? My fellow survivors, if you can hear the sound of my voice, that means you're still alive and it is my continued mission to keep it that way. Welcome to another episode of Can You Survive This Podcast. I'm your host, Cade Courtley. And our next guest, amazing guest, a seven-time world champion, American-Canadian professional wrestler, a musician, a podcaster, a best-selling author, an actor, an entrepreneur, and he's currently signed to both All Elite Wrestling, AEW, and New Japan Pro Wrestling, NJPW. You may know him as the Lion Tamer, the Ayatollah of Rock and Rolla. Folks, please welcome Chris Jericho. Chris, welcome to the show, buddy. Hey, man. I'm excited. Uh, I get a lot of uh, press requests and stuff, and, and some of them I can do, some of them I can't do. But this one stood out right away because it sounds like uh, something very fun. Uh, and the fact you're going to try and kill me, uh, figuratively, I hope, unless you have some sort of crazy darts that go through the computer, which you survival guys might have that too. So uh, I'm holding on for dear life, and uh, I'm excited to, to be here. Well, it's great to have you. We're definitely going to we're going to take you for a ride and see if you end up on the other side of this thing. But uh, before we uh, try and kill you, figuratively. Um, Dude, talk about a guy who's literally maximizing your time on this planet. I mean, I just in the intro alone, the writing, the acting, the professional wrestling, entrepreneur. I mean, what is the seed? What was it that was planted in you? Was it at an early age? You're like, man, you only have so much time. Let's make it count. Seize the day. Somewhere in there. What, what was it that gives you that drive? Maybe some of those things, but I think more of just... Um... Uh, having a lot of ambition, maybe. And when I was uh, a kid, I wanted to be, uh, I wanted to be in a band, and I wanted to be a wrestler. So those are kind of my two. Um, like, hey, th- those those things look pretty cool. Why don't I give those a try? And my dad played in the NHL for ten years, so I had a little bit of a taste of what it was like to play pro sports, and you know, have, I guess, a fan base and, and all that sort of thing. So maybe it was just in my blood from that aspect. Now, I wasn't a very good hockey player, um, but I was really into music and I was really into wrestling. So I just thought, well, why can't I do those? And then kind of as you grow older and people kind of ask you what you want to do and you tell them, they they kind of looked down their nose, so to speak. Um, Oh, that's ridiculous. Or or, you'll never be able to do that. Or how are you going to do that? And I never really could figure out why people cared so much about what I wanted to do kind of worry about your own shit and let me worry about mine. And this is also too, like, you know, the late eighties, there was no internet. There's no, uh, you know, Google to find out where to go to wrestling school, how to find other musicians to form a band or whatever it may be. So it was a lot more wild, wild west. But once I started to kind of get some success in wrestling and then conversely, that gave me confidence and, and more drive to get some success in music, which happened. 
once I got success in both of those, then suddenly you get confident, and then you become dangerous. Because now I'll just try anything, as long as I feel that I can really do it, and know kind of like there's no way you can fail um, unless you don't try it, but especially when you know exactly who you are as a person and as a, as a performer and as an individual, uh, as an artist. And that's kind of where, where all these different elements come from, is it all stems from the fact that I made it in, in one thing, then in two, so why can't I make it in 50 things if I show, so decide to do so? Do you, do you think, think when you went, went to maybe your dad's dad hockey, a hockey game and you just heard the response, that crowd, were you like, like man, that is, that is pretty amazing. How can I get that kind of feedback? Yeah, I, I, never, I never thought of that sort of thing, but I do remember, like, I, I kind of grew up in Madison Square Garden, you know, the world's most famous arena, to where I remember sitting in Madison Square Garden, um, I can kind of even remember where the seat is. Whenever I go there, I kind of can point it out. In, in my memory and kind of not liking the fact that the, the crowd was so loud. Like I hated so I hated the, the fact they're so loud and I hated the fact that my dad didn't look up and wave at me when he was on the ice playing. I just couldn't figure out why he wouldn't do that. Um, so, but, but you can, I remember, I remember being mobbed uh, walking out of a practice with my dad by fans who wanted my autograph too. And I remember I couldn't, I remember signing like an X because I didn't know how to sign Chris. Right. So, I mean, those type of things are, are, are slowly put in your head. So maybe subconsciously it was always there. Oh, your dad plays in the NHL. It's so cool. That's so cool. I never really saw what was so cool about it because it was just my dad. But then as you grow older, you really start appreciating this. And, um, and maybe, like I said, subconsciously, maybe that's where it all started to have the drive to want to be in the public eye as well. You know, we've got a little wager here, some of us, over who we think – your guy was growing up in wrestling. Who was the, that's my guy. Big, big money here. <laughs> a lot's changed in that business in the time you were in it, I imagine. What, talk a little, a little bit about the business side of professional wrestling. I bet, you know, I'm sure there's books have been written and people talked about it, but that's just a side that most people, fans probably don't understand. Well, that's a pretty big question, Kate. Yeah. I mean, uh, the business of pro wrestling, I mean, my goodness, if you wanted to make a, a reality show about wrestling, forget about Total Divas and all that stuff, and just go do a behind-the-scenes show about what really happens. I mean, it's it's almost hard to explain. For, for If you're in the business, uh, you barely understand it. If you're not in the business, you don't even have any idea just how crazy it can be at times. Um, especially when there's live TV involved, but that's part of the brilliance of it. I mean, wrestling is is neither fish nor foul. It's 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 not fantasy. It's not reality. It's not sport. It's not uh, Shakespeare. It's not uh, it's not fake. It's it's kind of everything in between. So um, it really is one of those things where someday somebody's going to do a real show about wrestling the way that they did Entourage about acting or Nashville about country music. And I think it'd be one of the most interesting shows on TV because you wouldn't believe that it was true, but it is. So, um, yeah, it's, it's one of those things. It's a very, very interesting world for sure. Oh, it's got to be fascinating. I mean, just your glimpse, your perspective and what happens before you even step out to the ring. I, I would love, I'd love to see that. Maybe that's a new uh, project for you as producer. I'm working on something like that. <laughs> Excellent. All right. So I understand early in your wrestling career, um, you went by a different name. Is that accurate? And what was that name? There's a, there's a myth out there. It's like, eh. I don't know, man. I feel like I got the last question wrong with the wager. So I, I, you tell me. Tell me what it is. And I'll tell you the story if it's <laughs> <laughs> it was something like Mr. Atomic or something like that. Oh, no, no, no. I was never Mr. Atomic, no. <laughs> yeah, the, the, uh, I've been Chris Jericho since my very first match. Um, I had ideas for other names beforehand, but um, Chris Jericho was, it was actually Cowboy Chris Jericho from Casper, Wyoming, which was hilarious because we were in Calgary. And I was like, why do you want maybe called Cowboy Chris Jericho. And they were like, oh, you're going to be a cowboy. I'm like, I hate cowboys. I hate country music. And I've never been to Casper, Wyoming. I'm sure it's a fine city. I've been there since. But um, but I was, I was like, I remember I called one of the older guys. And I was like, they want me to be Cowboy Chris Jericho. What do I do? And he's like, well, just don't do it. And I was like, really? 
Because, yeah, just don't do it. So um, I told them I didn't want to do it, which is hilarious, because if anybody told me before their first match they didn't want to do something, I would have made them Cowboy Chris Jericho with a giant Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> first wrestling program, which I still have around here somewhere, is I'm listed as Cowboy Chris Jericho from Casper, Wyoming. <laughs> Oh, man, at least they didn't try and get you on a horse heading into the ring, right? Well, yeah, that's, that's what I was thinking. I'd have to do the whole horse and the whole, I don't know how to ride a horse. Uh, so, yeah, that, that was a, a short-lived uh, gimmick for sure. Chris, what's one of the biggest misconceptions about professional wrestling or professional wrestlers or maybe even you? I just think that people understand the art form of it because um, it is art. I mean, anytime you, you create something out of nothing – it's art, whether you're a painter or a musician or an actor or, or a wrestler, you know, pro wrestler. And I think sometimes, even to this day, there's a little bit of a stigma attached to it where it's kind of like B-rate entertainment or, you know, something along those lines. But, but it really is show business boot camp in that if you can become successful in wrestling, um, because it is a whole amalgamation of everything. I mean, it's live, it's taped, it's in front of a camera, it's behind a camera, it's in front of a live audience, it's comedy, it's drama, it's sex, it's, it's you know, uh, everything in between. Um, you know, you learn so much about how to be a performer in a lot of different ways that if you're really good at it, it's a no-brainer that you'll go out and do other things. And you can see that whether you're talking about uh, Chris Jericho or, or The Rock or John Cena or, or, you know, Jesse Ventura becoming the governor. I mean, there's a lot of different guys that have really made their names outside of wrestling because of what they learned inside of wrestling. Uh, I mean, even the president of the United States, I mean, Trump was in wrestling for a while. He's in the WWE Hall of Fame. You know, don't tell me he didn't learn a couple tricks to become president in the first place. I mean, it's all about being in front of the camera and knowing how to connect with the audience. So there's a lot of, a lot of uh, 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 tricks and, and skills that you learn from wrestling that you can easily take into any other form of entertainment and uh, utilize them to your advantage. You know, one of the things that goes along with what you used to do, what I used to do for a living is injuries. I mean, it's just, it's part of it. And I imagine somebody who's airborne with your body size and gravity, that's just, did you ever have that moment where like, oh man, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get up from this. This might be a career ender. Of course that happens. I mean, I've been in my 30th year anniversary of being in the business is this October. Um, so yeah, you have that, but, but, but it's like anything else. I mean, I have really good longevity, um, uh, not to be braggadocious about it, but maybe, maybe the best longevity ever as far as never being hurt. Um, but then I haven't, I've never, I've, I've never been hurt. I broke my arm in 1994 and missed seven weeks. And other than that, I've never missed a match in my life. Um, but I think that, uh, um, you know, when you're 20 years old and how much you bench and that sort of thing, and that can do four plates aside for, you know, four or five for two. And you can't be doing that at 49, nor, nor should you want to. So over the years, I've changed my training. I did a lot of yoga, uh, about five years ago, 10 years ago, cause I was, my back was really screwed up. Then yoga kind of helped me through that. Uh, and now it's more kickboxing. I, I do kickboxing every day, uh, which is not a lot of weightlifting anymore, not a lot of heavy weights. So all of that sort of stuff, if you, if you protect your body and take care of it um, and be smart about what you're doing in wrestling, you can have that longevity. But there's freak accidents too, and I've just never experienced that. I've been very, very lucky, but also working smart and training smart, which I think all benefits, and also not working as frequently as I used to Um I think I'm probably only at about 15 matches a year now, if that. But that's okay because they're all big matches and, and you have to be wise with the matches that I do. And the rest is just personality, connecting with the audience, talking, being creative, coming up with new ideas. And that's all part of the business as well. You know, it's cool that you touched on Tom Brady. He's changed the way he's done things. He's still top of his game, but he went more towards away from the heavyweights, flexibility, realistic body motion. I started ripping all my tendons when I was mid forties. I was like, enough of this. And I, I have a term, I call it more reps, not rips. And, uh, you know, for me too, I never got into drugs, uh, steroids dabbled in it a little bit, but in the WWE, it's a very strict policy. So I haven't done steroids in 20 years. 
and I never really did. And, uh, you know, I like to drink, but never got into hard drugs or pills or anything like that. And I'm sure all those things helped kind of preserve my body, uh, especially performance enhancing drugs. If you, if you are, you know, the guys that really used to overuse those, they have, very, you know, it's easy to rip your tendons and, and it messes up your back and, and all that sort of stuff. So I, I never had really any problems with that, which really helped as well. Plus, I grew up in Canada. This is something I make a joke of, but I really think it has something to do with it. I grew up in Winnipeg on the prairies where it would get to minus 30, minus 40, and that's not an exaggeration. I remember one, one day it was colder on Winnipeg than it was on the surface of Mars. <laughs> You're like, what? <laughs> yeah, it's like with wind chill, it's minus 80, yeah. and on Mars, it's only minus 60 today. But I think when you grew up in that environment, it kind of made you stronger. You know, when, when, the, when you're a teenager and you just walk the streets with your friends, or that's how it used to be, you just go hang out at the 7-Eleven. If it takes you half an hour to get there and it's minus 30, that makes you tough. That toughens you up. So that might have helped a little bit too. <laughs> well, I grew up in Colorado, which wasn't negative 30 like that. But uh, I, I tell you what, though, just being used to that and having to go to school and back on your own, not getting a ride. It's just one more thing. It makes you a little bit harder, and that helped me out later in my life when I got in the seals. So, I'd be end of the day though. Cold is a motherfucker. <laughs> hey, let's talk. You never have hangovers in the cold though. Here in Florida, where I live, if you've been drinking too much, you walk outside in that hundred degrees. It's like fuck. It just makes you feel worse. If you go outside and it's minus thirty, take a couple breaths of that air, and you're like, da da. Uh, <laughs> you should bottle that. <laughs> yeah, uh, humidity is not fun either. But uh, let's talk about music, man. Talk to me about talk to me about your ba- well, maybe two bands. But we'll get to the. Uh, let's talk about Fozzy first. Now you guys have a new album dropping here in the fall. Is that correct? Well, I know we originally we originally were, and then and then the the Rona hit, so it kind of pushed everything back. And the thing about it is too is like. When you put out a new record, the best part is, is, is touring with it. And I would hate to put out a record and, and quote unquote waste it um, when you can't go out and tour. And it's, it's actually pretty interesting. We, we have four shows this week in North Dakota and South Dakota, and three of them are festival shows. One of them is Sturgis, which is a big giant, oh, yeah. you, know, you, know, you know, it's kind of in your neck of the woods up in South Dakota. Um, so, I mean, and, and they're, they're going, man. And, and I, I'm kind of actually really curious to see because I'm, I, I, I'm not scared of, of Corona. I don't want anybody to get it from me, but I'm also not scared of the concept of it because we've never stopped working. I've been traveling and staying in hotels and on planes every week since, since, since March. Actually, our very last show uh, was in Denver on March 4th and then Salt Lake City, March 11th, last AEW show. And then we were locked down, so we had to go to Jacksonville, where our uh, our owners, our, our owner of AEW, my boss, owns the Jacksonville Jaguars, so we can kind of work in their facility. So I've been out in the world, I've seen stuff and looked around and been places, and I'm not like there's people that I know, maybe you're one of them, I don't know, that are still in their house, they don't want to leave, no. uh, and that's it, and that's fine too. But I don't want to do that, and I'm not no. going to do that. So I'm excited to do these shows. Because I'm excited to see what happens. And if we do these four shows and God willing, everything goes good, that's just another indicator like, okay, it's okay, guys. You know, this this, this, this exists, but let's not stop being human beings, you know, uh, as long as we're careful about it. So having said that, the record, we're still working on it. We had a tour for April, May that got pushed to July, August, that got pushed to October, November. Hopefully that will go. Um, in the meantime, we'll, we'll get this record ready. We'll probably have it out at the beginning of 2021, I would say. Love it. Love it. Now, what was the motivation for quarantine with a K? Well, actually, kind of, I, I kind of half answered that question because, once again, because a lot of bands aren't putting out material because you can't tour on it, that I was thinking there's probably some radio space out there where they're looking for new material. Uh, and so we thought through a long story short, let's do this quarantine thing. It was a, a non-makeup 80s Kiss tribute band, but more of like, let's just record a couple songs and let's put it to radio and see how it does. And right now, the song No, 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 which is from the 1987 album Crazy Nights. It's a pretty obscure song. It's now number 42. <laughs> 
only in a pandemic could you have a top 40 hit of an obscure uh, 80s non-makeup Kiss song featuring one of the guitar players from Kiss, by the way. Uh, that only happens in the middle of a pandemic. So that's why we did it. And it was a success. And we can continue to do more. Uh, you're staying creative. You're playing with new musicians. And you, you're not, uh, like I mentioned earlier, wasting this great material that might go to number one. But if it does, you've got nowhere to play the song. And that's how you build your band these days. And, and, and you know, you know, pay for your uh, supper, so to speak. <laughs> Well, maybe you do a split show, uh, Fozzie, and then quarantine kicks in for the second half. That'd be awesome. <laughs> Can you think of any life or death situations that you've been in, either like touring, wrestling, private life? I mean, anything where you're like, Jesus, I don't know if I'm going to make it out of this. Yeah, I mean, actually, there's, there's one that I've written about before. and it, it, there's, been, there's been tons. I mean, traveling the world for 30 years. But the worst one was I was at a restaurant in Mexico, and I was really popular about, about 1993. Um, really popular fan base, especially with the ladies, because I had long blonde hair and I was a young, hot, young upstart, whatever. Technico, as they call it in Mexico, a baby face. <laughs> um, there was this girl across the restaurant, across a crowded room. She's kind of waving at me and come here. So I go over and she's sitting with a guy. It's not her boyfriend, it's her brother. Uh, I, I, you know, buy them dinner. I'm all chivalrous. And they ask me if I want to go to a party. So, I get into their car and it's me and this girl in the back seat uh, and the brother is driving and, you know, we start making out in the back and I'm like thinking this is kind of weird that the brother's letting me make out with his sister in the back of the car. But, you know, I'm a celebrity. Maybe he thinks it's cool. So we're driving and you can tell like, you know, when you're in a car, maybe you're paying attention to this girl, but there's lights in, outside. This is Mexico City and the lights get more and more infrequent until then it's now it's just dark and we're kind of in the country now and i'm asking like well where's this party oh it's coming it's coming it's coming finally we pull off kind of on a dirt road and get out and of course there comes the gun get out of the car um you know what do you got in your pockets i've got i don't know whatever I had a thousand pesos 300 bucks give him the money and the james bond beginning of the movie when you see him walking and you see the little like spirals I always wondered what that was. Well, that's the inside of a gun. Oh, yeah. That's called rifling. There you go. And I, I knew that because when I was looking at this fucking gun barrel in my head, I saw those little uh, little uh, ridges. And I was like, oh, wow. Those, that's what those are. And um, I, finally, they, they, I gave them my money. And they got back in the car. And I remember the, the, as they're driving away, the, the girl went, uh, adios, mi amor. Like, goodbye, <laughs> my love. And all I was thinking is like, fuck. I, felt, I was thinking two things. One man, she's hot. And two, fuck, I, I even bought them dinner. Like, fuck, they, they robbed me and I bought them dinner too. So, uh, and then I was in the outskirts of Mexico and had to walk three or four hours all the way back and this whole other story. But at that point in time, when someone's, and you know this, when someone's holding a gun at you, because when I tell this story, like, oh, we should have just, you know, punched the guy in the face and grabbed the oh, gun. It's like, all right, yeah. It doesn't work that way because you, yeah. A, you're so surprised and if I was, you know, if I was James Bond and used to this sort of stuff and as a spy, like, okay, fine. Uh, but when a guy is holding the gun, you can't believe it's real. And you're like, there's no way this guy's going to shoot me. Like, there's no way. And I'm sure that's how people die because then they get shot. I should have done something. I didn't know what to do. And I was, you know, if I got shot in Mexico and they dumped my buddy in some ravine, some body in a ravine somewhere, they might never find me. Like, I could have been lost forever, you know? Um, but yeah, it was a pretty scary moment, man. And it's even to this day when I think about it, I'm like, I was really lucky that the guy just wasn't high, drunk, having a bad day. Cause he could have fucking shot me and left me out there and nobody would have known. Well, I mean, and if it could have been even worse, I mean, that's such the town, you know, that's the town of abductions and you could have been living in a basement for a month while they're trying to get more money out of whoever is paying the bills, you know, and I had that happen to a good friend of mine and he barely got out alive and this whole dodging bullets thing, folks, that's a movie called The Matrix. That's not real fucking life. And just your odds of grabbing a weapon that's maybe a couple feet away from you, no, folks. Uh -uh. You did the right thing. You bought some time. You said, well, it yeah. And it's, so what? It, it, yeah, especially if the guy's on the edge anyways and is about to shoot you or doesn't know for sure and you make a move. Like you said, well, it takes a second, you know. So, yeah. And plus, I was 22 years old. I'd been in 
tons of fist fights, but I never, I'd never shot a gun in my life at that point in time. I, I don't even know if I'd even seen a real gun before. Like I said, I'm from Canada. We don't have a lot of guns up there, you know. So uh, it was, it was pretty, it was pretty, pretty, pretty wacky for sure. What, uh, what got you into writing? Just more of another opportunity to be creative and and share stuff with people. That yeah, I mean, I've always been a writer. Um, uh, I, I went to journalism school before I got into wrestling. I got a degree in journalism. Worked for a couple of newspapers in Winnipeg, and I uh, did always did creative writing. I even went to school for it. As a matter of fact, it was a, it was a class called Creative Communications uh, in Winnipeg, which was journalism, uh, advertising, public relations, creative writing. You could take radio class, television class. It was very much a media style broadcasting course, and I did a lot of writing in that. And then I did I, I helped I had an article in the WCW magazine where I wrestled in a wrestling company called WCW I had an article for a metal magazine for a while. So I was always writing. And then, um, they started doing wrestling books and they never asked me to do one. And I was like, fuck this. So the first thing I did when I left WWE in 2005 was get a book deal and write my first book. And there's been four of them total working on my fifth right now. Oh, that's great. I got to read some folks, the titles of your books here. Uh, so if anybody who doesn't realize that Chris Jericho is a New York Times bestselling author in 2007, a lion's tale around the world in spandex. Love it. 2011 undisputed how to become the world champion and 1372 easy steps and 2014, the best in the world at what I have no idea. And 2017, no is a four letter word. How I failed spelling but succeeded in life. I love it. What's the title of your fifth? Is it working title or do you got something? Well, what I did was um, it's a different type of book. It's more more for for like really hardcore fans of Jericho or the wrestling business. I kept a list of every match that I've ever had, starting from my very first match. And it's actually on the piece of paper that I wrote it on on October second, nineteen ninety. I wrote the date, the number of the match, one. Who was against what the finish of the match was, the star rating of what I thought, how many people were there, what I got paid. So I've kept a list, every single one of them. So on my 30th anniversary, I thought it would be interesting to release that list, you know, and call I'm not sure I'm going to call it the ultimate list of Jericho or something. So basically it's just going to be uh, a, like a document of, of all of all these matches because nobody has done this. Like if I and the reason why I did it is I remember my, my very first day of wrestling school, I asked the trainer how many matches he'd had, and he said he didn't know. And I just thought that was so weird because if I want to know how many hockey games Wayne Gretzky's played, I can go look in a book or now just go online. I thought it was very weird that you, that you wouldn't know Ric Flair's wrestling history or Hulk Hogan's wrestling history. So I said, well, for whatever it's worth, I'll just keep a list of, of mine. And after 30 years, you know, whether some people say Jericho's the greatest of all time or, or they don't like Jericho at all, this is a 30-year history book of a career that's never going to happen again. No one will ever have the career that I had, which was traveling around the world, going to Mexico, Japan, Germany, Canada, small time wrestling company in, in, you know, in, in the States and then a bigger one. And then, and then WCW and then WWF and then leaving to start AEW. Like it's just a, a very interesting story. So I want to do the book and then kind of just sit down with some experts who were going to read through this book and then just talk about, from year one all the way to year 30, it might take 10 hours, but I can split it up and sell it to Netflix or I can put it on my YouTube channel or anything in between. And just as a document, documented history of this very unique career, because one foot was in the old way of doing things and one foot was in the new way of doing things. So I'm kind of a time traveler of both. Well, it's an amazing career. It really is. I tell you what, uh, wrestling fans are intense. And uh, you've been dealing with that for 30 years. Have you ever had anybody show up in your living room at 2 a.m. or follow you around for a month? Stuff like that. I mean, just Not, nothing that crazy. There's been a lot. Like, I've had a few stalkers <laughs> over the years. Um, I mean, the, the weirdest one uh, I had something that popped in my head. But I mean, you just you, you would get you know, people that would get tattoos of you on them. And I'm not just talking about like I've got I've had. I don't know, 500 sign here and we'll get the, the autograph. Yeah. I'm talking like your face. <laughs> shoulder blade to shoulder blade. Everything. Like just like, you know, <laughs> there's your face. I'm like, and some of them aren't good, which is, is the worst part. Like if you're going to get a tattoo of somebody's face, 
it better be good. And these ones aren't. You're just like, like hey, I got a tattoo. And you're just like, hey, man. And that's all you can muster up to say. Have fun with that for the next day. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> um, so, so you get that sort of thing. Uh, but like I said, I mean, I mean, it's 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 changed a lot now. Like I have had people attack me on the streets before. There's a famous one you can Google that happened in Victoria, Canada, where I got attacked by a a, a couple drunks, one male, one female, and some people were filming it on their cameras. You know, instead of helping. Right? right? It's like yeah. Jericho versus 50 fucking drunk fans. Um, so there's been a few of those things. But but overall, I haven't had, you know, the crazy stalker where I feel like I'm, you know, at harm in any way, shape, or form. But they're out there, though, man. And I've seen elements of it. Um, and that's one, one of the best things about not being on the road right now is sometimes you see the same people over and over and over again. You start wondering, like... I don't know, man. I'm seeing this person way too much considering I don't even know their name and they'll follow, they'll find you at the airports and they'll find you, yeah. you know, whatever hotels you're at. And I'm like, how can, if I want to go pick up, you know, if you, if you fly in and I forget your plane number or whatever, I can't call the airlines and ask because they won't give it to me. Like, hey, can you tell me what flight caters on this class of information? Yet whenever I land in some airport, there's 15 fucking fans standing there with autographs and Funko Pops wanting me to sign them. Like, how do you guys know what flight I'm on? And sometimes it's because I'm stupid. Like, here I am flying to LH, put that on Instagram. Of course, it makes it a lot easier when you tell them that you're coming. But a lot of them find out about it with no, I don't know how they find out. Well, TSA, they only get paid about 12 bucks an hour. So they're they're probably taking a little something under the table. They all say like, yeah, we got uh, some contacts. I'm like, oh, <laughs> Exactly. Let's talk about your podcast, Wildly Successful Talk is Jericho. Um, man, you've got some heavy hitters on here. You, Bruce Dickinson, Iron Maiden, Lemmy, God bless his whole, from uh, Motorhead. I mean, Paul Stanley from Kiss. The thing I love about this job is I get to speak to really fascinating people like you over the course of, you know, however many interviews. And it's always time well spent. I mean, it, are you enjoying the same thing from doing it or? I mean, once again, being a, a journalist, which I've always considered myself to be even to this day, um, that's when I started my podcast. You know, I was lucky because I got it seven years ago before the podcast boom. Now there's literally a million podcasts. Yeah. Literally, that's how many there is. And um, I was lucky to get a great fan base. And the reason why I was able to get a great fan base is because, uh, A, I know what it's like to get asked the same questions all the time. So I stay away from that. Uh, and B, I don't have any questions. I just have a conversation, which, is, which always is, is, is the best way to do it. And C, it was never going to be a wrestling podcast. I mean, I, of course, wrestling is a part of it. It's a big part of it. But it's very music friendly, and I'm really into the paranormal and, and conspiracies. So I've got a lot of that. And then we do, you know, me and Kevin Smith will do watch along sometimes. Or I've got, you know, classic album clash where I pit two classic albums against each other with a group of guys and you debate them. And I mean, all of that stuff is, is part of my show. Um, you know, Larry King, Dennis Miller, Donald Trump Jr. Even and and people hate the fact that I that I interviewed Trump Jr. But it's like. What does it matter? I, 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 I could be, I'm nonpartisan, I'm, but if, if you get invited to Trump Towers to interview the son of the president, I don't care what political affiliation you have. If you're a journalist, that's a pretty fucking cool experience. You know, so all of these things, like you said, Kate, it gives me a chance to talk to a lot of cool people, uh, some that I don't know that I want to know, some that I would never even think of uh, talking to. But overall, it, it, it's been almost 700 episodes and a great fan base of people who never know um, who's going to be on from a week-to-week basis. So I've kind of designed it from the start to be like The Tonight Show in that I was a big fan of Johnny Carson. So if I was watching the show, I really didn't care who the guest was. I mean, if it was Robin Williams or something, I'd be super excited, but I would watch him interview anybody just because I enjoyed him as a host. And that's what I wanted to do with Talk is Jericho, and I think that's one of the reasons why it's been such a, such a success. Well, I t- and you touched on it. This has got me grinding my teeth. If we're at a point now where we can't listen to an opinion that might not matter or might not be ours, and if we're not willing to listen to an opinion in a format like this, what the? Well, like, and the thing is, too, like the same thing happens when I have like a flat earther on. Like, you're insane. Don't give these idiots a forum to listen. 
I'm not saying the earth is flat. I don't know if it is or not. I'm probably guessing that it's not. But when you've got somebody on that is giving you every answer, every question you have, it's like, this guy knows his shit. This is entertaining. This is a great interview. So if you, and if you don't want to listen to it, then just skip that episode and go to the next one. I got two every week. It's not like if you don't want to listen to every single show, then don't. But don't go like, oh, my God, I'm never going to listen to you again. I'm never going to buy anything you do or listen to your music or, or watch your matches. It's like, dude, if it's that bad for you, you need a hobby. Yeah, you need to look in the mirror and maybe get a therapist as well. It's, uh, it's just, I don't know, it's just things are so divisive that you think, if anything, it'd be nice to hear some other opinions. And then maybe you can fil- filter through and figure out which one you like and don't. But One of the things about being a journalist is you're non-biased with your guests. You, you, you have opinions but when you interview somebody you keep those opinions to yourself i mean unless it goes completely over the line but it's a forum to let your guest explain what's going on and then lead them into whatever topics you find are interesting that's what being a good host is and it's not easy to do and when we say there's a million podcasts i think only point zero 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 one of them have more than ten thousand listens per show if you can get a hundred thousand listens per show or more you're in the top of the top but it's not easy to be a host and everyone thinks they can do it, but it takes a real skill and there's an art form to it. Well, I am trying to emulate what you do on yours because I think it's awesome. I love your format. I love the variety of guests. And, uh, so, uh, thanks for, uh, I don't know, being a, being on point, give me a blueprint, which I can try and work from and, uh, and see if I can get up there with you. Uh, it's funny. My producer told me, he's like, Hey, congratulations. We're top 1% of podcasts this week. I was like, yeah. I goes, don't worry. There's only 90,000 above you. <laughs> I was like, okay, we, we got, we got some work to do. <laughs> hey, uh, Chris, what do you think the big, biggest mistake you ever made is? And not to harp on it, but if you're like, man, if I could have changed that, do you have one of those? I really don't. I mean, there's always things that you could change and things that you wish were different and uh, maybe you treated somebody bad that you should have been nicer to or, you know, those type of things. But overall, I've been pretty, pretty – I mean, from a, professional, from a personal standpoint, there's, there's, there's a lot. You don't need to, to get into that. But from a professional standpoint, I don't think so because even the things that haven't worked out as well as I would have wanted them to, it all, it all, um, it's all part of the journey. And your, I won't say failures, but the, the things that don't work out as much gives you more knowledge and experience to not make those mistakes a second time and to avoid kind of the pitfalls of what led you to do that to begin with. So any little foibles and, and mistakes that I've made, they're not weighing on my mind to where I would even say, well, you know, I shouldn't have done this because... It's all part of your, of your, of your experience. If you're going to have longevity in this business, uh, any business, put in show business or whatever it may be, you're going to have to understand that you're going to make some mistakes, but that's okay. It's the mistakes that you can learn from to make less mistakes in the future. Well, well put. Speaking of mistakes, let's see if you can get through this without making any and survive. You ready to play the game? I'm, yeah, I'm nervous. I'm ready. <laughs> All right. All right. So here's how this it's like, works. It's like choose your own adventure. It's exactly what this is formatted after. And so for anybody who's not familiar with hypothetical survival world, I'm going to drop Chris Jericho right into the middle of a life-threatening situation, a hypothetical situation. And just like choose your own adventure, he's going to have 10 events. And in each of those events, he can choose A or B. You choose the right you get 10 points. You choose the wrong one, minus 10 points. So Chris Jericho, if you're ready, here is your hypothetical survival world scenario. Okay, so you live in Florida. You've been there for a little while, I imagine, right? Yeah. Okay, so this one has been customized for you, and I think you're going to do pretty well. All right, so you are at your home, and you're enjoying just some time down with your family. And you've been listening to the news, and they've been talking about a storm that's brewing off the coast. You're like, all right, all right, seen it done there. No big deal. Well, this storm's getting bigger and bigger, and it is heading right in your direction. And 
The National Hurricane Center has just announced that in the past several hours, it has become a cat four hurricane and they are advising everybody to evacuate. Any questions about your scenario so far? Uh, number one, have you have you been through a hurricane? Yeah, a few times. A few, a few times. All right, so you get to put this to work, what you might have learned from the last one. All right, Chris Jericho, your first decision. You can stay put after hearing the National Hurricane Center uh, evacuation announcement, or are you going to head and you're going to get up and get out? Well, we've had pretty much an exact scenario of that where we had to to debate that. And the problem why we didn't leave and and evacuate was a few reasons. One was where are you going to go because all of the hotels were booked all the way up to like Valdosta, which is six hours from here. And even they were supposed to get hit with a hurricane. But the biggest problem is we have five dogs, three cats, you know, four fish tanks and and a partridge in a pear tree sort of thing. So... We decided to stay put and stay at home, and that's what I'm going to do right now. I'm staying home. Okay. Compelling argument, and I understand because you're a guy that lived through this. But for the folks out there that were trying to give them the best advice given a situation where they haven't lived through this, if the Hurricane Center is saying, folks, Cat 4, bug out, we're going to recommend following the advice. Gotcha. Don't listen to me. No, no, no. Well, this is a unique situation because you're like, been there, done that. So let's just say you decide, hey, all right, we're going to bug out because Cat 4 is no joke. Um, so here, you actually only have a couple of minutes for whatever reason to get out. What are you going to get for supplies? Clothes and blankets or food and water? I'm going to go with... Uh... Sounds like a trick question. You survivalists are getting me. I mean, my, my, my initial reaction would be food and water, but I think it'd be easier um, to find food on the road. But since you just went that, I'm going to say food and water. I think that's excellent. Here's a couple of reasons why. In a survival situation, I always recommend the thing that can kill you first is the thing that you need to address first. And especially dealing with uh, tidal, you know, all, all the flooding that you're going to be dealing with, there's going to be a lot of water that is not going to be safe to drink. So if you have your own supply of water, especially, and some food, especially because you have some kids with you, that's going to be a good way to go. All right, so that's a plus 10. So you're back at zero here. You are in the vehicle. No, that's all right. This is good. You're in the vehicle. Hurricane was heading straight towards you from the east. Are you going to drive north or are you going to drive west? I'm going to say you're going to drive west. Exactly. Reason being, you are going to try and get as much distance and time away from the path of that hurricane as possible. So you're heading in the opposite direction. But you're probably going to realize this is what happens next. You're in a vehicle during a massive storm like this, and you hit gridlock traffic. That's one of the reasons, folks, why they say leave earlier than later. That's why the folks at the Hurricane Center are like, get out now, get out ahead of it. You're in gridlock traffic. Everything is stopped. Are you going to get out of the vehicle and start running? Or there's an option, you're going to head off-road. You see a muddy field off to the right. Get out and run or go off-roading. In the car? Yeah. Yeah, I'd say off... uh, I'd say you're probably best off staying in your car, so off-roading, but you're going to tell me I'm going to get stuck in the mud. No, no, not well. (laughs) <laughs> You're good at this, brother. <laughs> no, absolutely stay in your vehicle. If you see an option that can get you more distance, take that option. Getting out and running right now, not a good plan. Stay in the vehicle, I would say for sure. Stay in the vehicle for now. Uh-oh. You got stuck in the mud and you have two flat tires. <laughs> hey, folks, I swear to God we didn't send them this before the show. <laughs> All right, so here's another decision. Vehicle is out, out of commission. You gonna get out, leave the vehicle, or are you gonna stay in the vehicle at this point? You got a vehicle that is stuck in the mud. Hint, don't forget about flooding issues. Right, yeah. I guess you, yeah, you can't just stay put. You'd have to try and get out and, and, and move. You absolutely have to. It is not the best scenario to be in, but it's the best given those two decisions. Time to get out, time to move, all right? 
But folks, remember, the majority of deaths from a hurricane, they're caused by drowning. So you got to keep this in mind if you're getting out and where you're going to move. So speaking of where you're going to move, you see a ditch off to the right that can uh, provide you some cover. Or to the left, about 300 feet away, you see a brick structure. Are you going to head to the right to that ditch? Or are you going to try and make your way to a brick structure? I'm going to try and make way to the brick structure. Absolutely. And again, we already touched on it, folks, about the majority of deaths come from drowning in a hurricane. Last thing you want to do is be in a place where water runs. So you are plus 40. You definitely bounce back from that opening question. Stay, stay ahead of it. All right. So, yes, you're heading to this. Uh, you're heading to a hardened structure. And what do you do? Do you run right for it? Now, granted, again, 50, 75 mile per hour winds, stuff's flying everywhere. You're going to run at top speed to try and get there as quick as possible. Or are you going to low crawl and try and get there from cover to cover to cover, taking little bounds? I would guess that low crawl is the best way to go. And low crawl is the best way to go in this situation. Folks, when you have debris flying around at 100 miles per hour, it can saw you in half. Uh, people have been decapitated. I mean, something like a 2x4 is going to feel like a cannon going through you. So a low cross section, stay as low as possible. And again, try and go the same when we're in a firefight. You're not just going to cover a bunch of ground. You're going to go from cover to cover to cover to slowly get your way there. And again, staying as low as possible. Plus 50. All right, buddy. Here we go. In the process of getting to the structure, your wife is injured. She's got a bad cut. Are you going to stop and try and address the injury? Or are you going to press on and try and get to that structure? Address the injury in place or try and get to that structure? Um, wow. Just trying to think if you were in the field in a war. Exactly. Um, you'd have to address the injury, at least assess what it is. Oh, you're, you're, you're right, right on the right track. track. Go, Go with, with your, your instinct, instinct on, on that. that. Yeah, you have, to, you have to check the injury and see how serious it is. If it's not too serious, then you go to the brick. If it's really serious, you got to stop it. Stop the bleeding. Yep. So... Let's just say, given the two choices, treat the wound right there, treat the wound, or continue on to the structure if you have those two simple choices. I'd say treat it. Okay, and here's the, you are totally on the right track when you're talking about, if you're in a firefight and you're getting shot at, your priority is to try and secure the area, or you're gonna get more people that are gonna get injured. So in the military, we call it, you, okay, you get hit, and the boys are taking care of business, you do self-aid, you do what you can to yourself, and then somebody else will come and get you, but they have to address that threat, and that threat is people shooting you. So unlike a firefight, you're out there, all this debris is flying, try and get the hell out of that firefight, or in this case, this hurricane, and get to that structure. Gotcha. That's a right. Good, good, good tip to know. Good, good yes, tip to know. Yes. Uh, so uh, again, it's and we talked about it before, what's the thing that's going to kill you first? Is it going to be flying debris or my arm bleeding? Well, it's going to be this damn flying debris. So let's address that first. All right, moving on. You've made it to the structure. All right, you're treating your wife's wound. She's doing okay. She's stable. Um, are you in this home, the structure you got to, going to head to the basement? Or are you going to try and find an interior room without windows? Well, you said that the majority of people die from drowning. Yes. So I'll stay out of the basement and look for the interior of the windows. I couldn't have said it better myself. That's exactly <laughs> it. Water. Now, had I, not, had I not done this show, I would have said go to the basement. But, yeah. but since and, for, and for, for a, a tornado, tornado that would be, be great. great. But, but when, when we're, we're dealing, dealing with the, the issue of flooding, flooding and water and water flows downward, downward try, folks, folks, try and find an interior room, a bathroom or something like that without windows. windows. Because, because it's, it's on, on the inside, inside you're going to have, have even more protection from the walls around you. And the no window thing is kind of huge. huge. So back up to plus 50. One more for you, Chris Jericho. You ready? Yes. All of a sudden, things get really quiet. Okay. Storm's over. You're going to head outside and check out what's going on. Or you can try and fortify that place you're in, realizing this was a hurricane. Yeah, I think it probably, like, maybe if it gets that quiet, it's probably the eye of the storm passing over, so let's fortify. Absolutely, it's the eye. Folks, do not be fooled by the fact that this thing has gone by. 
An eye of a hurricane can be 20 to 40 miles in diameter. But you know what's coming in about two to three to five to 10 minutes? The other side or the backside, the eye wall, that's coming. And oftentimes that is even more harsh than the initial leading edge of the hurricane. So that's a plus 60. That's very admirable. That's awesome, man. You, uh, you survived survival world. Did you? Oh, you did great, man. Hey, um, we do something in this called after action report. It's just sort of like, did you learn anything from this other than stay away from brothers who are okay with their sisters hooking up with you in Mexico? <laughs> Please stay away from that. Yeah. If there's any hot chicks that wanted to go to a party with their brother in Mexico, don't do it. But uh, yeah, I learned some stuff about, you know, hurricanes are a real thing here. So I learned a couple uh, couple little tips there. Thank you. Chris, Chris Jericho, Jericho, I can't, I can't thank, thank you enough for being part of our show, show taking the time, the time to do this again. Um, I'm going to be, uh, I'm gonna be watching, watching what you're doing because I'm trying to stay in your footsteps. But uh, everything you do, man, it's just, it's awesome. You're just out there to entertain folks. And that's a pretty damn noble cause, especially nowadays. We need more of that. So thank you. Thank you very much, man. I really appreciate it, brother. Hey, man, my pleasure. Thank you. This is this was really, really cool. I'm, I'm glad we did this. It was fun. <laughs> hey, folks, thanks for joining us today. I mean, if look, if you enjoyed the episode, please share it with friends, family, loved ones, coworkers, anyone you care about, because it is our continued mission to save lives. So you can be a survivor, not a statistic. And be sure to subscribe, listen for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, watch us on YouTube, or wherever you get yours. Again, thank you so much, Chris Jericho. It's an honor to have you on, buddy. Thanks. Can You Survive This Podcast is a Cavalry Audio production recorded live from The Bunker in Denver, Colorado. Hosted by me, Kate Courtley. Produced by Brandon Morgan and Kate Courtley. Associate producer is Jeff Apple. Executive produced by Keegan Rosenberger and Dana Brunetti. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.